Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Today on Barca Talk, the first round of Champions League is over and FC Barcelona took a win in Milan at the San Siro. With El Clasico on the horizon, the squad first has to get ready for Real Sociedad at the Anoeta this weekend. Hey, this is Barca Talk, the podcast for FC Barcelona fans. I'm your host, Brian Henderson in Buffalo, New York. And joining me from Madrid is my co-host and your tactical analyst, Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother. Happy Christmas time, buddy. Oh, it's happy Christmas time, is it? Yeah, I mean, when I was walking home right now before we recorded, the streets are plenty of Christmas company dinners and everyone is getting drunk. Oh, it is, yes. They have a funny saying here. It's like um, there are more company dinners than companies. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> because people here in Spain love Christmas company dinners or friend dinners or any any opportunity just to go out and dress up, you know, especially during Christmas time. Anyway, let's talk about... What's on the show today? Because we have some news about El Clasico. Of course, we got the scouting report on this weekend's fixture in Basque Country with Real Sociedad and a full breakdown of the final match of Champions League group stage against Inter in Milan. But first up, a couple other points about the Champions League. The draw for round of 16 is going to be happening on Monday. And for Barcelona, we won our group. We can't face anyone from our own group or our own league. So we have five possible opponents. Who are they, Gabriel? They are Tottenham, Chelsea, Lyon, Napoli, and Atalanta. Nice French accent. Thank you very much. On Lyon. Lyon. <laughs> so who do you want? Uh, obviously, selfishly, I want Atalanta. You know, who are they? Don't know. Right. Where are they? Are they in Georgia? <laughs> who knows? You know, they're, like what? <laughs> they're an Italian club currently in sixth in Serie A, and they have advanced in their first time in the Champions League. This is the first time they've ever been in the Champions League, and they've gotten through to the round of 16. So good on them. For sure. So obviously, selfishly, I would like to face them because they lack experience and any star power. I think of uh, the teams that probably scare me. I would probably say maybe Leon or Chelsea, something like this. Sure. But at the same time, none of these teams are really, you know, jaw dropping, scary opponents. You know, I think we could handle them, especially the way we have been playing lately. But who knows in 2020 what's going to be happening. So it could be a flip flop, you know, of our right. roster and injuries and the way we're playing. But against a side like Atalanta, I haven't seen them play. They, you know, obviously had a good group stage. So, you know, they got something going on and we haven't scouted them yet. And we may not have to ever, but <laughs> I'm just guessing that we might even do pretty well with 
almost the same kind of lineup we uh, put up against Inter just the other day. For sure. I mean, that, it's a possibility, right? Again, who knows what's going to be happening in 2020 with, you know, if we let's say we face Atalanta, maybe if they fall down in Serie A, then they just focus everything on Champions League, right? Like that's one possibility. So sure. with these other teams, you know, with Tottenham and Chelsea, Lyon, they're going to be competing in a lot of competitions as well. So they might be strung a little thin. Like you said, I mean, who would you like to face? Atlanta too, I imagine, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. Plus, it would, you know, of course, on paper, it just they just seem like the the easiest win for sure. You know, with Tottenham, I think the only thing that really scares me about them is just Mourinho. I mean, Mourinho has had success against us, and especially when he's playing with a new team like this, where he can kind of mold them defensively, uh, he can easily figure out Valverde's tactics. So that would be a definite advantage for Tottenham. And with Chelsea, you know, they are a strong team as well. We always battle them very tough in Champions League. But like you said, there's I think there's two theories to this, right? Like you said, if we take a tough opponent like Tottenham or Chelsea and we knock them out, then that's great. We don't have to see them further. But also, I definitely like to see a little low-hanging fruit, you know? Yeah, but there's also more news about the, the looming Classico. What's going on with that? So it's interesting since our last episode that we recorded i've been kind of reading a little bit more about the tsunami democratic and just kind of figuring out and it's interesting i i guess i didn't realize how much of in a bubble i was in madrid no yeah because (laughs) well in in the fact of the of the rivalry of the barca madrid thing because you know i try to when i watch the sports shows and read the papers i try to get from both perspectives you know try to read a little mundo marca and watch the news from different points of view tsunami democratic has announced this week that they have more than 18,000 people that have signed up for this app. And so now, especially in the Madrid news, they have really announced that there's danger for the Classico. Now, the Tsunami Democratic have announced also that they have four spots where they're going to do protests outside the Camp No. Now, they have been saying that they're going to be peaceful and so forth. But the problem is, is they are, yes, they are trying to say peaceful, but it could easily become violent, you know, and that's the thing. Sure. So... I was watching some videos today, and in Barcelona, they are not mentioning anything about the safety of the Clásico, Brian. Like, hmm. Los Mossos, the Catalan police, have guaranteed the safety of the Clásico. But here in Madrid, it's the opposite. They're screaming fire, and obviously because Real Madrid is feeding that into the media as well with the news and so forth. So it was really interesting today because today was when I really noticed the two biases of both cities, but more than ever, you know? I, I guess I just was, like I said, in the Madrid bubble since I live here. The only danger that could happen with this Clasico is mainly inside the stadium because the Mosos don't work inside the stadium. Right. They have the stewards. And what the Tsunami Democratic have mentioned is they have a lot of ticket holders that are going to the game and they want to invade the pitch. Oh, boy. Exactly. So that's where the biggest thing. Los Mosos have guaranteed the safety outside the stadium. But inside the stadium is a different thing. And Barca is in charge of the security in there. They're not sure if the Mosos are going to be inside as well. So that's still the sticking point. But the Classico looks like it's still going to go on. And it's going to be very, very interesting to see what turns out in this. Yeah, it sounds even more tense than usual. If you can get enough people to invade the pitch, that's still a threat. And that's where it's coming from because, as I told you a couple games ago, you know, Barca's in charge of the state, the security inside the stadium and so forth. And when the players were trying to leave the stadium after the match, they had a really hard time because there was no security. And obviously, I know Barca's going to take this more serious because it's a classico, there are more people with the mozos and everything. 
But at the same time, like you said, we just don't know what's going to happen. 18,000 now, Brian. I mean, last time we talked, it was 10,000. So, yeah. you know, they're having a better crowdfunding support than than we are. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> By many, many factors. Yeah. I guess that's a good time to, to start talking about our crowdfunding campaign. Uh, we put a lot of hours into making each one of these shows. Personally, I counted it up, which I've been avoiding doing. Mm-hmm. because I don't think I really wanted to know how much time I put into each episode, but I counted it up and I would say that I put about 10 hours of work personally, just me into each episode. And that, that includes watching the game, you know, and taking the notes, organizing the show, planning it out, structuring it, writing things so that, so that the show has the kind of organization and flow that you've uh, become accustomed to on yeah. on our podcast here on our little program. And then of course there's the recording. Uh, we have to, you know, take time to get on with each other and, uh, and record. That's usually at least an hour, sometimes more if we talk business, which we often do. And then once I start editing, that can be anywhere from a three to four hour process. And then I, you know, I make, I make other little things. I make other videos to try and promote it for Instagram and whatnot. So all told any one episode t- takes me 10 hours of work. And I don't know about you, Gabriel, because, you know, I do the editing and you don't, but I know that you also put work in, in addition to just our screen time and watching the games. So like, what's, what's your workload like per yeah, episode? It's, it's about the same too, because I read all the papers and I read all the stuff. I watch all the news to try to get the perspective here of Spain. It could be worse, right? I could be watching terrible programs like sports programs and stuff, but at the same right. time, I still have to schedule it. I have to you know, basically record it and watch it when I can. So I can always be kind of up to date to kind of give you the perspective here from Spain. And yeah, I mean, it's definitely close because, you know, on top of, you know, I don't do the editing per se, but I try to read so much about the tactical stuff and all the reviews, watch the things. So it definitely comes out to the same, you know, and especially since we do the social media campaigns and stuff, we're always watching it. We're always editing it. We're always talking about it. And also, you know, we're always doing that aspect of it, which takes a lot of time. So between us, each episode represents about 20 man hours between just Gabriel and me. And then, of course, when we have Max on to talk about Barca B, you know, he's watched at least one game, maybe two games. He's also been reading up on the news and doing his research. And then he has to write his article and record that. And then he sends it to me, and that's more editing for me to do. You add Max's time into that. You know, we put a lot of time into this show, and and I think that the quality of the show reflects that. So if you've been listening this month, you know that we've launched this very big and ambitious crowdfunding campaign to essentially raise money to fund this operation, ideally for one full year, through Patreon asking for monthly contributions of $2 or $5 or $8 a month. And we've gotten a a good response, a better response than we've ever had in the past. We've picked up 26, I believe, new patrons this month, new members who enjoy the show and they want to support the show. And I'm really grateful to those people. We also got a a donation, a one-time large donation of $1,000 from one listener, just one person decided he told he told me quote you guys rock enough to the point where he was willing to give us one thousand dollars so there's a lot of support there's a lot of support support that we didn't even realize was out there 
but it's honestly still not enough. We need more. So what I'm trying to do right now is to just mobilize all of our listeners because we have the listeners to reach our our goal. And our goal is lofty. It is big. Just over $10,000 a month for the next six months, including December. And that will allow us to really improve the show that much more, take it to the next level, really invest in raising the level of this podcast while also no longer asking for any donations. For sure. I mean, sounds great, right? It does sound great. I mean, I, I'm going to put a challenge to the listeners, you know, managing Madrid, our real Madrid podcast rival in let's say footballing terms, right? Well, it's almost more like counterpart. Counterpart. Right? Okay. But let's, let's just say rival just for this challenge. All right. Just, sure. just hear me out. <laughs> They're winning 655 to 70. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Are you going <laughs> to let Real Madrid win this classico of podcasts? I mean, seriously, come on now. We are trying to better the show. We want to bring you access of Barcelona. Don't let the managing Madrid podcast win. That's all I have to say. <laughs> right. So you're, you're talking about number of patrons. Yes. Because they also have a Patreon page and they have 655 patrons. We currently have 76. Yes. So they're beating us by quite quite a few patrons. Correct. We need a couple. We need a lot of messy hat tricks to catch up. So get on the horse. We need you. Yeah, we need your your support. I mean, we really appreciate the support we've received, but we just got to continue this this momentum. You know, this month has been great and we just want to keep going. Now, I if you do have some issue with uh, like you don't want to mess around with patreon you don't want to sign up for another thing i get that but maybe you'd still want to contribute to this campaign just send us an email barsatalkpod at gmail.com and we we could work something out where we can you know do an end run around patreon we can make it quick and easy for you to contribute also uh, much like that one listener who made the one thousand dollar donation if you want to give us a a one-time doesn't have to be a thousand dollars, but you know, a one-time donation. Again, just not having to deal with Patreon. That's great, and we'll gladly take it. So just get in touch with us at barsatalkpod at gmail dot com. And uh, if you've been, you know, thinking about it, you visited the Patreon page, you haven't acted yet. Pull the trigger. Do it. Do it now, please. All right, let's talk about the upcoming match against Real Sociedad. It's this Saturday, your favorite time of day, 4 p.m. kickoff oh, in God. the Anoeta. This is this is oh my God, Brian, I'm scared. I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so scared. I love San Sebastian. Beautiful place. Have you visited San Sebastian before? I have not. Oh my God, Brian, it's top three Spanish places. The food is ridiculous good yeah they have they're famous for the pinchos there it's an amazing city with the beach and everything but four o'clock saturday you know my feelings brian and away oh, yeah. um this is going to be a, a surefire test from what i have seen from sociedad with their formation their youth and so forth this is going to be a tester of a game right before the classico you know tactically they run a four two three one all day every day <laughs> <laughs> and what that's gotten them is Fourth in La Liga, eight wins, three draws, five losses, a total of 27 points. Imanol Aguasil, he was appointed as manager mid-season last year, and this year he's he's really doing well with them. And you mentioned their youth. They do have a young squad. Their average age is 25.3 years old, and a lot of that youth is in the midfield and the wings. They have Odegaard, a 20-year-old midfield attacking midfielder. They've got 
Oyarzabal, 22. And then they do also have Porto, who's a little older, 27. But, man, this midfield and this attacking line, a lot of youth, a lot of speed, a lot of hunger. For sure. To be 25 again, you know, Brian? <laughs> yeah. Man, just, the other, just yesterday, Megan said... Oh, wasn't being 28 nice? I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> being 28 was nice. <laughs> that was going to be my next thing. 27 too, just like Porto, right? <laughs> yeah. Again, alone 20, 22. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this midfield, I mean, I watched them play against Real Madrid and they are, man, they're almost, they remind me of the Ajax midfield from last Champions League run where they just have speed. They work together as a complete unit, not only on offense, but also defensively. And again, for me, you know, the main jewel or the crown jewel of this midfield is Odegaard. He is the the prize of Real Madrid. He was signed, you know, a couple of years ago. They loaned him out to Sociedad. And recently, especially last season, he started to break through and he's getting all the playing time. He's a stud. I mean, a complete stud, Norwegian international. And for me, he is the talented attacking midfielder where the other two do the work and they're just as good. But like Brian, like I said, they're hungry, they're talented, and most importantly, they're fast. And our midfield and defense is going to struggle with that. For sure. For sure. Especially in this formation that's going against us. They're going to be able to fill in the void where we're missing with five, essentially. You know? Yeah. And the way these three guys run, it's going to feel like six at times. Well, looking at what Barcelona's bringing to this, you know, you mentioned that we don't do well at the Anoeta, but I have to say, I looked into this, you're wrong. Sort of. Historically, you're correct. If you look at the whole record, particularly in La Liga, Sociedad have won more, but that goes back all the way to the beginning of La Liga, 1929. But we haven't actually lost in the Anoeta since April 2016. The last three meetings they've had in that stadium, Barcelona have won. So the Anoeta is not the most threatening place we could go. And the overall away record has improved. You know, of course, we all remember the team was struggling a lot on the road. At the beginning of this season, they drew or lost their first four away games this year. But starting with the Hatafe match in Madrid, they've won six out of their last seven away games. The only one they lost was that uh, embarrassing loss to Levante. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be, I mean, this game and the Classico are the two tests, especially going into the midway point, because it's either going to make us feeling really amazing during Christmas or just bah humbug, you know? Yeah. And this, I mean, I know that, you know, thanks for calling me out. You know, I love being called <laughs> out, but, uh, you know, again, it's still going to be a tricky place. Okay. The, the Saturday sure. four o'clock and I know we have a good away record as you pointed out, but also just aesthetically, we haven't been that great. And I'm just curious to see, especially with this long break that the starters have had, if that's going to have any effect on this outcome. Again, I'm nervous about this match because one scenario I can see is is getting killed. Right. You know, I mean, <laughs> just being overrun by their speed because, again, you're going to see it. It's the team speed with how they run all together. It's not just one guy that's really fast. It's everyone going. And more importantly, the way they press and the way – I mean, like I said, Brian – with their four-two-three-one, those five guys are going to feel like six at times against Busquets, for example, or Rakitic, right? And right. that's where it's really going to feel it, you know, in the 60th minute, for example, where these young guys are still pressing and we are gasping for air. I just looked at the weather report today. It's not going to be rainy, so that's good. It's going to be a little cold, but, you know, that's in our favor because usually at this time in Basque country, it's always raining, you know, and so that that definitely favors us if, it, if the weather holds up. So, 
Yeah. I'm still nervous, especially with this renovated Anoeta that all the fans are much closer. It's going to have yeah. a big game feel to it. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous, Brian. I'm nervous because <laughs> especially since we've been playing good and winning, I still think it has covered a lot of our flaws. And a team like this can really, really expose us. Yeah. So what do you what is what do you do? You're you're managing Barcelona. You're our tactical guy. How do you respond to this? Four two three one with this kind of speed. Is it four three three with just different players? Yeah. Is it a different structure altogether? Yeah, I mean with the four three three, I would just change it up. I would just put Rakitic in Busquets and Artur, for example, or De Jong in the back. Actually, change it, De Jong, because I need his speed and his youthfulness. So that's the three I would use because at least we can carry some more possession with Artur, and Rakitic playing on the right side would do that. Now again. If I was facing this 4-2-3-1, I would completely change the formation just to have more balance in the midfield because we're just not able to handle their speed. I would maybe do a 4-4-2 just to set it up at the beginning, especially since we're playing at home. I would try to do that more balance. But again, if they get us on the counter and they're facing Busquets or PK 1v1, oof, it's going to be a long day. Now, here's a here's a, a new wrinkle for you. Okay. It looks as though Arthur is still injured. Mm. So still De Jong in the center. Yeah. Rakitic on the right. What do you think about Alenia on the left? Oh, okay. I can uh-huh. I can be with that. I can be with that. He had a really nice showing against Inter, which we'll we'll talk about that more. But if I were the coach, you know, I would definitely mix up the formation and try to find it, you know. But with Valverde, I mean, could you be surprised if he runs out Vidal? No, not at all. <laughs> you know, and that to me is I would if you're a real sociopath, you're like, please put in Vidal, please put him in, you know. <laughs> so that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about that it's going to be a Rakitic, Busquets, Vidal midfield. Right. Like that if you were to just place bets on what the lineup is going to be, I think that would be the smart money. That makes me cry. I know, but just knowing Valverde, yeah, that's the way I, it goes. Again, it's just it's it's so disheartening because you know we have the talent. It's just a matter of just shifting it. The craziest thing is like in the inter game, he totally shift the formation, but he won't do it for these tough away matches where like, you know, on paper, we're just not as fast and we just don't have the possession like we used to. So put us in the best position, overflow the midfield. So we have some balance, you know, we don't have the tiki taka. So we need to have more midfielders to feed the ball to Suarez and Messi. And maybe you just put Griezmann as a fake midfielder on the wing, you know, just to give that balance. But you know, Valverde never thinks outside the box. So, again, I, the, the midfield, like we just talked about it, I think it's going to be Dijon, Busquets, and Rakitic, or Vidal in there as well. You know, some yeah. sort of variation of that. Well, next up, we're going to get into this Champions League match against Inter. A, a delightful win from mostly young and less seen talent. So on Tuesday, Barcelona went to Milan to the San Siro to play Inter in the last group stage match. The stakes were high for Inter, but they were not present at all for Barcelona. We'd already clinched the group. No consequences for anything. I have to say, Inter did not look like they were in it to win it, if I'm totally honest. Got a 2-1 win with goals by Carles Perez and Ansu Fati. And, you know, the win was great, especially with both goals coming from La Masia talent. But the bigger win for me was how well these players did in a 3-5-2, a formation with no precedent in all of Valverde's time managing that I can remember. I was so confused by this formation because, as we talked about in the previous episode, I didn't want to see any starters. 
And he started Rakitic and Griezmann in this. And I was just like, just go full young. Like, what's the point? I don't understand. Like, it's like, I'm going to go swimming, but with a life preserver. You know, it's like, just just go full, you know. I would have just sat down Rakitic and Griezmann and just full on just had Fatih starts, you know, and so forth. The three five two, which is interesting. Again, I would have just gone with like a four three three again and just used the youngsters. But again, we saw as soon as we think Valverde is going to go left, he goes right. Yeah, well, you know, there was at least some, as you mentioned, it was sort of a half and half. It wasn't all the way young. It was, you know, we, we had the young guys and then we had the babysitters. It was like a Copa del Rey early round match in that sense. We had three players apart from Neto who had under 100 minutes each that all played 90 in this match. Todibo, Alenia, and Wage. So now their current minutes are over 100. But here's a funny statistic. Rafinha has still played more minutes for Barca this season than any one of those guys. He still has 187 minutes clocked for Barca. The most that any one of these three guys has is uh, is 180, and that's Wage. I love that stat. When I read that in the doc, <laughs> I was like, that is amazing, Brian. That's, that's great research because just tells you, you know, I mean, Rafinha, good God. <laughs> that's That seems like a, a dream away, you know? Like, that's he hasn't so been long. here in months. I know, I know. It's crazy. It's good to see all these play. Now, I have a a dream scenario for you to wet, to wet your beak on this. Imagine oh. this, 4-2-3-1. Like it. Todibo and De Jong as the pivots. Ooh, I can get behind that. Oh, my God. I mean, let's let's just talk about Todibo on this. I mean... I think he was really the biggest standout of those three. Oh, my three. God. What isn't he doing in practice or what is he doing? And Valverde is completely blind because, I mean, he did that amazing great run where he just took it from the, the his end all the way to the other end. Obviously, that's the highlight. But, I mean, come on. The speed that he possesses, the confidence he has to, to read the reports that he's going to be sold this winter is I, – I just can't believe it. I mean, I think he's a steal. I mean, imagine that De Jong and Todibo as the two double pivots in a four-two-three-one. Oh my god, that would be, would be oh my gosh! Think about the the passing and defensive recovery with those two midfielders, but also the service and the one v ones that those guys could do, giving the ball up to Messi up the middle, Suarez, and then Dembele and Griezmann. Oh my god, that that is a dream. Yeah, and now what did you think about the other two, Wage and Alenia? Yeah, I mean, I like Wagu's game. I mean, he's he's. I like his confidence. He plays within himself. He, you know, you can just tell that he's a Masia player. He doesn't have to think about where the other player is going to be because it's already been set up through his academy experience. So all he has to focus on is winning the ball and just making the correct pass. Like he already knows if I'm on this side, I'm expected one player on this and a player in the middle. And you can just see it, you know, where Samedo has taken longer to do that because he didn't grow up in Masia. Whereas you can just see Wagus is playing and you can see he's going to be a really fantastic player. I mean, I don't want to see him sold because if anything, he's going to be a really good backup for the next two years for Sergio Roberto if we keep him, you know. And so I was really happy with his, his performance. But the other guy, too, was Alenia. I mean, you could just see how hungry he was in this match, this moment. I remember at the end of the game, which stood out for me is the way he was holding Godin at one point. And just held off the ball, held off the ball. I mean, Alenia's not making that play last year or even two years ago. And right. you can just see the development, his strength. This is what we've been screaming out. We want to see more opportunities for these players because you can see they can play. They just need the confidence and the playing time. And, yes, it's great that they got the full time here in the San Siro to get a little champions 
you know, experience. But again, you're telling me that Tody Bo can't be rotated in the midfield. I mean, you're crazy. I mean, right. I would. I mean, his performance to me was the standout. But also the scoring came from youth as well. First goal, Carlos Perez in the 23rd minute. Griezmann saw Vidal in the box, fired the ball at him. It bounced either off Vidal or the defender marking him. Hard to say. And then Perez was there to put it away with a really sharp finish. For sure. I mean, it's confidence, you know. Uh, he said in the post game, practicing with the first team this season has really helped his confidence to be sharper and to figure out angles and so forth. And, you know, the, the, the reporter asked him, you know, that looked like a really easy put away. He said, nothing's easy, you know. And I thought that was <laughs> such a great quote because, you know, it looks easy, but we always know, you know, the goalkeepers in the world are so good and all the, you know, the things, the bounces and so forth. So really clinical finish by Perez. You know, I was really happy to see him, you know, play with confidence, get a goal and just continue to put a little pressure to get some more playing time. You know, and that's really what, what you want to see. You want to see these players get the opportunity, do something with it. And it's even better if they score. Now, Lukaku did equalize on the 44th minute, but Inter hit the net three more times that were yeah. all called back for offside. And that's got to really, really hurt. I mean, I don't know what Inter's deal is because they're the Serie A leaders right now, you know, and they didn't play like it. They played very timid. They didn't want to make a mistake instead of just going for it. I understand that the 3-5-2 is a tactical wrinkle that Conte may have not expected, but at halftime, you still have to go full bore because you're tied one-to-one. You have to win to advance and to even get points, you know? I mean, yes, they had some goals that were called back, but at the same time, they didn't have the connection from their midfield to their strikers. And again, Lukaku, I mean, how overrated is this guy? I mean, he has moments where you see the speed and the power that he can possess, but his consistency, man, it just lacks and you can just see it. I mean, you know, it's funny because you compare, let's say, Suarez and Lukaku this season and Lukaku is a much younger, stronger, faster. But I would take Suarez just because of the consistency of goals that Suarez does. And that's saying a lot because he's lumpy, you know? Yeah, <laughs> he's a little lumpy. He's but, lumpy. you know, he just he has the finishing. Yeah. And that's that, I mean, that's what keeps him out there. Correct. I mean, Lukaku had a clear uh, you know, opportunities to score goals and he just couldn't convert. And again, you know, in these matches now they're going to be playing for, you know, UEFA Cup. Good luck with that. Right. Now, Valverde made two changes in the 63rd minute, putting in De Jong and Suarez for Rakitic and Griezmann. And then, of course, in the 85th minute, Fatih came on for Perez and scored a minute later. What did you think of these changes? Yeah, I thought the changes were fine. I mean, at this point, you know, he was just trying to put people out. Maybe the only person I would think is Suarez, you know, just keep him rested, you know, because he did get a knock. Remember, he got a knock there. and I was just like, God, man. He doesn't need that knock, you know. He could just be recovering. He did. I, for me, I would have not even traveled him. You know, I would just kept him in Barcelona. But for me, again, it's it's Fatih, man. I mean, one minute it was a really nice goal, it was a really nice take, and we talked about this in the last episode, Brian. It's the confidence that he's playing with, the understanding of the spacing, and it's just a really perfect system for his style of play. And when that happens, which is very rare in world football, and it clicks like that at such an early age, you just see the confidence. And that goal was just really nicely taken. And the keeper had no shot. And it was such a quick bang, bang play. All of a sudden, he just took a shot. And you're like, oh, it hit the post back in the net. Wow, they're up 2-1. <laughs> yeah, it was a 1-2 with Suarez, who yeah. had his back to goal. And he's become the youngest goal scorer in Champions League history at 17 years old. So I think the question at this point is, is Fatih the real deal? Or is it still too early to tell? 
Because that's kind of been the the asterisk on everything that he's done so far this season, which is exciting young player, clearly very skilled. He's leapfrogged over Barca B to the first team. He's getting time. He's exciting, but he's just a kid. Let's wait and see. What do you think? Well, I still think it's still early to tell, right? I mean, he's so young right now. I mean, he still needs to develop lots of things, lots of facets to his game because he's still a one-trick pony right now. I still think he needs to develop a couple other things, you know, just going to the corner, just different moves, you know, and different passing because a couple times with his passing in the corner, it always got blocked, you know, and he still needs to work on that aspect. So there's still some things, but of course, I, if I had to, if I were a betting man, I would definitely bet that he's a superstar in the making because of the conversion. It's such a difficult thing. I mean, you take the comparison of Vinicius in, in Real Madrid, who's just as hyped, a little bit older cannot find the back of the net and mm. he's a big laughing stock here among barcelona fans here in madrid because he always skies the ball like he cannot <laughs> find the back of the net now fati is finding really high success conversion but that's also because of a couple of things he's just in the right spot taking his chances and he's playing with a lot of confidence so you know it's his first season you know and we're going to see his development but i still if i were to bet He's definitely a superstar in the making. A funny comparison in this match would be between Fatih and Godin. Because, <laughs> because, you know, they're on complete opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Godin is a veteran, very experienced, older, of course. Fatih, it's his first time in at this level, his first time in the Champions League in this match in particular. But I think there was one play in particular where something sort of fell apart. So the the play just broke down. But Fatih was still getting up off the ground, smiling. Just <laughs> saying, did you see that? Did you see that thing I did? Yeah. Just, this is so cool. Aren't you guys excited? And meanwhile, Godin is just like, man, I'm too old for this. <laughs> just, uh <laughs> Like Murtoch, right? Yeah. <laughs> that is an interesting point because Vati like gets he's on the ground, he's like, I'm good. And he just bounces right up, you know? Yeah. And I can attest to this because when I played in that soccer tournament a couple months a couple weeks ago, you know, I fell to the ground and I was like, Oh my god. I gotta get I gotta get up. What's going on here? You know? Whereas before you just bounce right up. And Godin's the same way. He's like, Oh man, I gotta gotta soak in the ice. Yeah. Got to pick up my kids in the morning. Oh, man, yeah. I'm on the gray. You know, it's like those type of actions. So totally true. I mean, to point out that that opposite end spectrum. I mean, it's funny. But, you know, the thing with Fatih, too, you know, you just see the joy, right? You just it's the unbridled joy of a 17 year old playing football at the highest level. And it's just crazy because it doesn't happen very often. You know, maybe the last really start, obviously, Messi, but also Michael Owen, for example, when I think of young uh, Wayne Rooney as well, where young players have had the success on the stage, you know, and doing it consistently. So obviously I think he's in the right situation because he's not going to be pressured because we have so many superstars on the team. So, I mean, I'm excited to see what, what the future holds for this young man. Yeah. Well, job done, job well done in the San Siro, especially by the youth. We'll be back on Monday to break down the Real Sociedad match. Barca Talk is a production of Sound It Media, written by Gabriel Quiroga and Brian Henderson, produced by Brian Henderson, social media and promotion by Two Point Go. Until next time, Visca Barca. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.